The opinions expressed on this program are solely those of the individuals involved and do not necessarily represent those of loudspeaker networks, its employees, sponsors, or affiliates. This is Loudspeaker. Marla Freeze has guest starred on shows such as Everybody Loves Raymond, The Drew Carey Show, and Married with Children. She had a really successful 25-year acting career. But not only that, she has also helped L.A. law enforcement solve homicides with what's turned out to be an amazing life. Join us tonight for this really thought-provoking episode when Marla Freeze talks to us about her really difficult and challenging childhood, what she did to overcome it, and how she's gone on to live an amazing, thriving life of service, helping others to live their best lives. Welcome to Spark. I'm your host, Stephanie James. I want to talk about your history. You have such an interesting story. I always say none of us come out of childhood unscathed. And yeah. that is definitely true for you. So c- can you talk a little bit about that? You know, it's in the book. It's in that last part of the book where I basically learned that I wanted to be loved in order to make a difference. But you make a difference even if you're not loved. And that's what that dynamic was. So just for, you know, for your listeners and everything, my mother was really not well. She was very abusive. My father had come back from the war a number of years earlier than when I was born, but he came back in a body cast. He was blown up in a, in a landmine accident, blowing up Hitler's Siegfried line in Germany. And he came back in a body cast, you know, these children, these boys don't know what is going on. And he medicated himself and spent most of his time, you know, he was a good provider, but spent most of his time in the woods, you know, hunting and being with men who had done the same things that he had done. And my mother was very unhappy and she took her rage out on me. So those strange, weird, you know, backgrounds that we all have heightened my sensitivities. Her abuse, physical, mental, some sexual, but it was really out of rage, basically made me, and here's the psychology, I basically learned to disassociate, to split from myself. Yeah. And to allow that part of myself to fly around looking into other people's houses and wanting to be with them. But that became something later on, as far as a psychic is concerned, where I was bilocating and sending my consciousness other places. Go figure. Yeah. I mean, coming out of that place. So again, interesting. Oftentimes it is, I think, out of these wounds become our gifts, right? Yeah. Exactly. And I think that a lot of people don't really think about that regarding their own intuition, because oftentimes, you know, we're, get, we're getting downloads and everything, but a lot of people will stop that because it, it sometimes will mess with people's bodies. But if you keep medicating, then you stop suppressing that connection to source, that connection to all information that you can access when needed. So this is part of what we do. 
right, Stephanie? We're trying to get people to pay attention to this awareness that comes from some of these heightened sensitivities. Well, and let me go back to your childhood because I definitely want to talk to you more about developing a sense of intuition. Well, I think one of the things that is important, the first half of the book is called blind sight. And that's the medical term that means a blind person, literally a blind person who has the ability to perceive a life source. And that's kind of how we are all running around in our lives, you know, blindly trying to find our way through things. And the second half of the book is called Insight. And that's when I started to heal all of the trauma. And when I was healing the trauma, that made room for all the awareness to start coming in. So you have to heal the pain you have to heal the blocks in order for the rest to start coming in. And boy, did it come in with me like gangbusters in my mid-30s. Not interested in talking to dead people. Not interested in working homicide cases for law enforcement. It just all like slapped me, you know. So. Well, and I wanted to talk to you about that. Yeah. So what was that like for you, number one? You already had this sense, you already, you know, were having these psychic experiences, and yet at 30, yeah. it's, it's, it's like slapping you upside the head and your whole life is changing. Right. It did. Well, I was stalked by someone. I had a con artist, I call him the dark angel of the soul, that basically came into my life and I found out he was a con artist and I went public about it. I went to law enforcement. But in the midst of that was when I first started hearing from dead people. Jerry Rubin, who was an activist, you know, he worked with Abby Hoffman and all of that. I had become friends with he and his girlfriend. And it was right before Thanksgiving. And Jerry was actually hit by a car. And I went to the ER and saw him split. You know, nobody wants to see anybody like that. You know, basically, he looked like a Frankenstein. He had this attachment on his head, this this thing that was trying to keep his neck still. And he was split from his below his belly button all the way up to his neck and been sewn back together. And I, I didn't know what to do. And I wasn't talking to dead people at that time. And I went into the um, to the waiting area. And I was praying and I was asking, how can I help you? What can I do? And I heard, I'm not coming back. And I didn't know what to think about that. And yeah, I know. I was like, is that him? Oh, I just made up something. Oh, it had to be. No, who would he? He wouldn't be talking to me. He'd be talking to his girlfriend or some other friend. But that next morning he died. And then the stalker brought me something. And he tried to ingratiate himself to me as a friend. And as I picked it up, it was actually a pair of gloves. It was a pair of blue gloves. As I held the gloves, I went, oh, I I can't even put them on. This makes me feel nauseous. Thank you. Thanks for offering this to me. But as soon as he left, I thought, wow, what is this? And I heard, why don't you go to that house that he's talking about up in the hills? Go to Eureka Street and take a look and see what house that he wants to buy. And I did. And there was no house that he could possibly be living in. Things were boarded up. And no house on that block except one was probably it. And I called the names of the people that were on the mailbox. And a woman answered and said, oh, those are my parents. And they died last year. And I said, well, tell me about the young man that says he's been living there. And she said, nobody's living there. But there was a guy that squatted in the house and took my parents' belongings and started giving them to people, apparently. 
And the only reason that we knew that he was there was because he tried to put his name in for the gas, for the gas company. So those gloves went that woman, that Evie Greenberg. And basically, I went to the police and said, there's a problem here. So that's how Talking to the Dead started. <laughs> wow. You see, that's so crazy. I know. Well, and and I know too from hearing these stories, I think I was 20 years old. I got exposed very early to this and knowing that there's just things that you can't make up, right? No, no. In this, in this world, this spiritual world, is, it's much weirder than we could ever imagine. But I'm so grateful that I had various therapists that got me into helping me understand first the trauma of my childhood. And I'm still friends, colleagues with that therapist. And then, of course, the woman that put me back together after finding out that I had all of these things happening because my brain exploded from that experience. I ended up working with law enforcement. I ended up being trained by U.S. military psychic spies. It was the craziest time of my life, exciting and amazing. And I ended up in James Von Frog's house. And I didn't leave for three years. And this was before he was famous, before his first book came out. So I got him at a really good time. Yeah. And he put me in a class and he proved to me that I was a medium. That was just amazing. Yes. And I just imagine too, I always feel like when these things start opening up, like the path of serendipity, things just line up, line up, line up, line up. So like there's no accident or no mistake that you're having these experiences and ending up at his house for three years. Right. Well, and the ability to heal, to take a look at, the, at those blocks that are inhibiting you from accessing, it's your willingness, it's your intention to heal that will bring to you the right facilitators or whatever it is. But that's the key. You have to want change this very deep and you know this is going on in our country you know we have a the underbelly of this problem of racism in our country is truly all about fear and I come from Pennsylvania you know and down here down here at the bottom is my hometown out in the middle of nowhere and nothing so it's been isolated so we were taught the ways of our parents, how to speak in a certain way, how to think in a certain way. And, you know, when I was growing up, I knew that it was wrong. So I did the work and I had to come to terms. And there's layers and layers of racism. But right now, this to me is one of the key aspects of we have to change this inside of ourselves because it's a huge chunk of fear that morphs into hate that spreads out and it's cancer. Yeah. Yeah. And so really starting within ourselves, looking at what we've been taught, the yes. messages we've received, and then as, as we're doing our own work, as you've said, and, and so beautifully, because that's something I just resonate with so deeply as we do our own work, then yeah. we do become able then to access source in a, in a deeper yes. way and activate our intuition. And I'm and sorry, I'm really emotional about that. That's so, okay. Yeah, it's really, I think that it's, I think this will save our country. Mm.
people don't want to be, you know, called racist or anything like that. It's not, it's not something that people want to hear. So I'm always telling my clients, you know, people everywhere to be curious, just be curious, you know, you don't need to be defensive. Just be curious about how our lives are moving and why we think the way we do. You know, when we get in the shower in the morning, it's a really good idea to pay attention to how we're thinking. And I started something on Facebook the other day. It's just kind of crazy where I was just probably will make it into an ebook, but it's just a couple of steps about how to do this clarity. And one thing to start out with is really being conscious, paying attention to how you think, right? So you have to think in your first exercise with me is how many times a day do you lie? Tell me more about that. Yeah. Well, when you start to go down that road, you are paying attention to your cognition. You're paying attention to Okay, Marla's giving me a task. I've got to find out how many times I lie. Okay, I'm on the phone. Oh, I just said, yeah, I can't wait to get together with you. When in fact, I could care less about getting together with you. <laughs> or, oh, great. How many times we move that about how many times we lie to other people to seeing how many times we lie to ourselves? Mm-hmm. You know, oh, that'd be okay when it's not okay. Oh, sure. I'll, I'll be happy to do that. No, you won't, Marla. No you, no, you won't, Stephanie. So you get into a truth space with you, with us, with we, with me. Love that. So that's just bringing it first, just like as you're saying, that sense of consciousness. Yeah. You got to get aware because you can't change anything you're not aware of. You know that. Yes, absolutely. And we all have blinders on, right? So these kind of conversations and having these conversations with other people, and I imagine having even someone that's like an accountability partner that you could be like, if you're really close friends, say, hey, I want you to help me so that I can look more deeply into myself. Are there things that I'm missing? Yes. And to have, you know, people that you trust that will tell you the truth, but we do have to be willing to hear. We do have to be willing. And that's where a lot of people aren't. People get stuck in needing to be right. I mean, when I was studying, you know, I've spent a lot of time in therapeutic studies. I did work with the EST work and also Insight, LifeSpring, whatever that is. And a coach that I worked with for years who talks about the image instead of the ego, we create this image, this thing that stands between us and other people that is completely inauthentic. We think it's authentic, but it's really the buffer that we use to put between us and someone else. And that image will take us out. It will fight to the death and kill us at the same time in order to be right. I find that just shocking that we as a society have crafted that around these deep secrets. And, you know, don't you think secrets are poison? Of course. Of course. I always say, you know, our secrets are what make us sick. They truly are. Well, it It, is. 
And right. And, and like you're saying, this, this false sense of the false front. Yeah. Right. The false sense of I've got to come across like I've got it all together. Yeah. And honestly, I, I worked in a school district for 10 years. And this reminds me of one of the most powerful moments for me was when this little girl in fourth grade came up to me and she's like, oh, you're just always so happy. And, and I could just tell, I mean, this was a school where there's 73, 73% poverty. We dealt with so much domestic violence and child abuse, you know, sexual abuse. And to be able to say to her, you know what, I'm, I'm happy right now because I love my job. I love being here with you. And you know what, I get really angry sometimes and I really cry and I get sad about things. And to really be able to model to her, like it's not about, like this journey is not about just being happy. Right. My eyes are leaking right now. <laughs> I know. <laughs> I love that about you already. Well, yeah. Yeah. I'm, I'm usually pretty good. But last week, I had two bad days. And I was like, wow, I, I'm having bad days. So, of course, I'm smart enough, you know, to call the people that love me and are also facilitators to say help me navigate this yeah because so many people are so disappointed in how other people are behaving in their lives and you know it took me <laughs> it took me 50 some years to really get that people are doing the best they can even when they're not doing the best they can, even when they know they're not doing the best they can, even when they know they're hurting people, that's the best they can do. And I think that that's just, for those of us who, you know, have worked on our, through our codependence and we know that we can't fix people, we basically are still heartbroken that they're in a template, that they're in so much pain how much exhaustion people must be when they lie all the time. How exhausting. Yeah. So that false sense of self and, you know, what am I talking about? You know, I became an actress. And I think that this might be important for listeners because I saw my mother being so happy when she watched the television set. And I was like, okay, I'm going to get into that TV and I'm going to be one of those shiny bright ladies on, on Lawrence Welk, or I'm going to be one of my mother's favorite soap opera divas. I'm going to get into that television set and maybe she won't hurt me and she'll love me. Mm. Started as early as kindergarten. I got up on the stage singing on top of Old Smokey with a pony stick <laughs> between my legs. And her face was lit with joy. And I'm like, oh my God, that's the answer to my prayers. This is it. This is the answer. And I became successful and then I became, you know, a lot of stage, a lot of television. And boy, it was not the answer. It just... It was just a way for me to express myself and move and have fun. And because I had no identity and no character myself, I had to take on other people's characters. Yeah. You know, and I was going to ask you that it's, yeah, ironic that you brought this up because it was exactly where I was going to go asking you because so often I think, you know, we get that image of Hollywood and that kind of stuff being really false and fake. 
Mm-hmm. And I wondered, because you were an actress for like 25 years, yeah. right? Yeah. In television and, yes. yeah. and on stage. And so what was that like navigating through that world with this gift that you have and also with figuring out who you are and seeing yeah. through all the falsities? Yeah. Well, it's curious because oftentimes acting, especially when you start going to classes and things, actually the best teachers won't let you get away with, can I say an S word? Of course. They won't let you get away with shit because it has to be so authentic in the moment. So you're learning through the character's dialogue and the history of a character, you know, who this person is who this person feels and loves. And if she loves this person that she's in a dialogue with and he says something to her, it's going to wound her. So that dynamic is actually more real sometimes, Stephanie, than our own lives. It taught me the difference between inauthenticity and authenticity. It it helped me find me. And I think for, you know, I've always encouraged people in the business world to take acting classes. You know, a lot of lawyers have to pretend and pretend. But the pretend part is really key when you know the difference between pretending and being your authentic self. And because I pretended for years to survive my mother, when I finally came to terms with, oh, yeah. I don't need to pretend anymore. And it was this work, I started doing this work in the mid-90s, and I stayed acting in order to pay for all of the the therapy that I needed through 2002, but I'll never forget it. I had a dear friend that worked at Warner Brothers, and I had just just had a series of shows, I had just done Everybody Loves Raymond, and there's a lot of great stories in the book about my awakening through this whole acting career. But I came off the the set of The Drew Carey Show. I had just done the opening scene with Wanda Sykes. They always had this great opening scene, and I was a guest star to do it with Wanda Sykes and Drew Carey. And it was a great little role as an executive and a business person, and, and I walked off the set and I went, wow, that was fun. But when I got to my little honey wagon, the trailer where you change your clothes and you get yourself back together, I walked out the door and Jerry Cohen, who was the director of the show, had also 11 years earlier directed me in Married with Children, which is a internet favorite. I mean, you get to watch Peg Bundy beat me up. It's really worth seeing. <laughs> I have to live my clips of that on my, on my YouTube channel. But he said, great job, Marla. Nice working with you again. And I went, thanks, Jerry. And right then and there, it just all went, I'm done. I'm done. And my friend from Warner Brothers came over and we sat down and I said, I'm done. I didn't need to do this anymore. And he said, are you sure? Because it's really great money. And I went, yeah, I know. It's really great money. But I think that I can, I'm going to give all of this up to do this work. So when you got that clarity. Yeah, such clarity. Yeah. I, never looked back. I never looked back. There was only one other time, and I was married at that time, and there was only one other time where I went back to work. My husband needed money for a legal situation. So I went back to 
to work on a, on a soap opera that I had made fun of. And I laughed so hard because it would probably not be a super that my mother watched, you know, but at least I fulfilled that dream of <laughs> probably hers. And I guess I was the longest guest star on that soap for a while. I don't even credit myself with that soap opera. But the dynamic was, yeah, I had left it all behind. And I still love my people. I mean, I love all the acting friends and I still work with a lot of, you know, whether they're actors or directors or producers that come to see me based on, you know, giving them information of probability factors and what's coming down the road. Your voice, your vote. In our democracy, they matter and make our community and our country stronger. So make yours count. Get registered. Learn the issues. Know the candidates. And vote by or on November 3rd. Visit vote411.org for registration and election information. This message is furnished by the National Association of Broadcasters. Listen to the stories the black community is telling. Hesitate to respond as you normally would and really listen. It's time to amplify their voices and show up for them. Black Lives Matter. The opinions expressed on this program are solely those of the individuals involved and do not necessarily represent those of loudspeaker networks its employees, sponsors, or affiliates. But I love those people. You know, actors are fabulous people. They really are. And even the people in the business, I don't have, I mean, I've got a couple bad stories, but why tell them? You know, yeah. it's, just, it's just egos. I've got amazing stories and terrific things that I write about in the book. And of course, I don't know if you remember me standing up to a Hollywood icon. Tell that. Well, I refer to him as Homer in the book, but he was a mega star. I mean, top of the line, director, producer, everything. And he came into my world to teach me a lesson. And it was about standing up to narcissism. And you did. I said no to a Hollywood icon, which I, I thought might have consequences. It furthered my resolve in never sleeping with anyone for a job. It furthered my resolve. And so when the Me Too movement happened, it was like, oh, I, ha I got that in the early 90s. I'm just so happy about that because I ended up working for homicide detectives. So those girls that were getting off of buses coming from, you know, farmlands in various states that wanted to be stars, who would give their, who would turn over their fresh necks, their youth, to the vampires that lost theirs, like a Harvey Weinstein. Those women were basically people that I ended up searching for in fields. Not that Harvey did anything like that, but yeah. there were people that did kill those girls. And I ended up working on those cases. 
So all of my history of understanding being, you know, codependent and, and not being loved enough and wanting to put myself in between my mother and I wanted to put a career in between us that she loved. So she would leave me alone. So, you know, I threw myself into that work to be successful. And the driving force was so that she would love me and not hurt me. Now you're bringing tears to my eyes because I, I just think how much we all, in certain degrees, have sold our souls to yeah. want to be loved. Yeah, we do. You know, and that, and that we think that all of it is outside of us. Right. And so we have to earn it. Yeah. Well, we're taught that by television, um, movies. You know, I laugh because the way that I wrote the book, my, when I write about my childhood, it's all about, I saw things through movie things. And when I first had sex, you know, it was really kind of a horrible experience, but I had nice ambiance. <laughs> and so I was, when I went on a, date with the cosmopolitan bachelor of the month and I'm you know a hijack to Cuba you know I think it's a great adventure until it's not but yeah those are the times when we didn't have computers or iPhones we had movies and television so that was our escape and right now we have you know children who are easily just picking up something and clicking on you know whatever and we're getting desensitized yeah, so desensitized. So that then it's like, what is real? One of the things I find in my office a lot, and I imagine you experience this as well, is people don't know how to talk to one another anymore because they just text. Right. And so they don't know how to interact sometimes or communicate in a way that will really be healing. Yeah. And it's so easy to fire something off on social media or through text that so there's no way in God's green earth we would say face-to-face. -face. <laughs> I think that that's part of it. I also think on some level it trains us to understand what our triggers are because we are constantly getting triggered. People just want to spew things and say, okay, I feel better. Well, I feel better if I spew this. Would I feel better if I point out your faults? Well, that's learned, isn't it, Stephanie? So we're back to that whole race conversation of you are taught this way to communicate. You are taught this way to react. Do you want to change it? Yeah. And, and as we know, oftentimes, we don't change until something becomes painful. Right. Like loss. Yeah. Loss of money, loss of career. You know, I start my book off with the loss of my marriage. That, you know, which I lost everything in that. So loss. And being with loss is not easy because loss of health. What we're going through with this ongoing rapture that I call it, this process of COVID, it's not political, doesn't care what color you are. It might care what your body type is to host it, doesn't care who you are, how much money you have in the bank. And in a huge way, because it's happening all over the world for the first time to a global awareness of that level of pain. Right. And to me, that's the hope, Marla. That's the hope that maybe people really do begin to wake up 
and see that it is a collective pain and how we can change that. And it really isn't going to matter on some level who's going to be in the White House. I mean, it will on some level, but no matter whether it's somebody that you like or somebody you don't like, we still have this that we have to work on or people will just die. And I think, you know, what you said earlier, and I think what's so important is it it starts within each one of us, right? That people can feel like, oh, it's so huge and it's so out of control. But, you know, I, I just got offline with a client where we were talking about how can you bring yourself back into today? Right. Because if we could look at what we could do in this 24 hours. Yeah to take care of ourselves. There's these three C's of starting your morning. Like, how can I take care of myself? Yeah. How can I connect with others? Yes. Even if we're not seeing people in person, like talking to you right now, I just feel absolutely connected to you. And it's, it's just a beautiful thing. So it's just about reaching out. Right. And then how can I be creative? And creativity takes so many different I mean, we can be creative gardening or we can be creative. Maybe, you know, we're going to bake something wonderful and find a new recipe or, you know, I'm just going to paint a picture or I'm going to come up with a song list of like my top 10, you know, romance songs that I want to play and my boyfriend comes, you know, whatever that is, you know, that's, that's tapping into those things that then really do help resource us. And, And I do believe taking care of ourselves, part of that is, you know, of course, exercise, eating right, that, but having a mindfulness practice, do, or, you know, a meditation practice, doing our therapy work or getting the help that we need so that we are in that continual growth and healing process. It's like, I I kind of think of it almost like it's like lubing up the gears of a bike, you know, it's like we have to have this running well so that it's helping us on our journey and helping these wonderful things then to come in. I think you're absolutely right because we get, for those of us who've had trauma, it's just reinflicting the trauma. Any kind of hate, any kind of narcissism, any kind of power shift any kind of threat that we're going to not be able to take care of ourselves. I mean, you know, when the toilet paper thing happened, it was because you couldn't wipe your arse. And that is one of the fundamental things, because if you don't do that, nobody's going to hang around you. You're going to have flies, you know, you can't stand yourself. Nobody will be able to stand you. So you go for the, you go for the toilet paper immediately. I mean, it's one of the base things in the world that you could do, right? Right. But self-care is not about medicating. And this is the thing that I'm, you know, freaked out about regarding what this pandemic has done for a lot of people. It's made them just want to zone out. And I just can't drink anymore. If I could, I probably would have. But that dynamic is I can't do it. I can't do it for my body. My body won't tolerate it. I can't do it for my psyche. I have to be present for other people. Do I want to check out? Sometimes you bet. What do I do? I will swim. I have girlfriends that have a dog. I will go visit the dog. I, I, I share the dog with them. I will hike. I'll be up in a canyon at 5.30 in the morning, hiking, breathing, talking to friends. 
but you said something really wonderful about being creative. I started listening on Pandora to, you know, my era was the 70s and 80s. And I'm like, oh my God, the 70s music was so much better than the 80s. And then I'm listening to the 80s. I'm like, no, well, wait a minute. <laughs> and so you talk about getting your playlist together, but it makes me, because I, I, haven't, been, I haven't been dating since, oh, I don't know, I think I went out with somebody in 2015, but going back to those old songs of being in love and feeling those things. I know that other people are doing that. And it's a wonderful thing because, you know, listening to certain things, I, I don't listen to regular television anymore. I can only access Apple TV. So I'm happy that I get to be clear and tap into the frequencies. And maybe I'll sing with something, which is another way to heal the breath and singing and moving and ah, all of that stuff. I used to sing, I don't sound very good now. But, but the point is to make ourselves happy under whatever circumstances we find ourselves. And also, here's another interesting thing to know that it's not just on us. Those, that, those of us who've been traumatized, we're like, we have to control everything, right? Well, if I can't fix the government, how am I going to, <laughs> I to survive? <laughs> well, and, and that's just it, right? It's so powerful. And what I'm hearing when you say that is also when we come to the point of surrender yeah. and, and surrendering that control, Especially like right now when circumstances are so out of our control, it's not about putting your head in the sand and it's not about not being aware or active. That's not the message at all, but it's, it's about surrender to something. Well, to know that there are other people out there in the world that can do some things, even though they're not doing what we would like them to do, understanding that there is this incredible system that we are a part of. And I'm a big proponent of intention. My intention when I work with people is to bring in information for your highest good. If we could just help somebody, and that's the whole thing about humans. Human at the very base core, not just want to use the toilet paper, but we do want to help people. We, if we have an extra roll of toilet paper, we'll give it to you. If we don't, we haven't cleaned ourselves up, we're hoarding it. But we really do want to help you. And I think that that's possibly one of the key aspects that we have to remember, that there are people out there to help us. Love that. Yeah. And I mean, you're doing it. I'm doing it in my own way. You're doing it. And we continue to do this and grow and get bigger. And I guess the, the main reason for all of this is to basically find love. Where do we find love that we can express? I just love spending this time with you. And I just want to ask you, Thomarla, and, and first of all, I want to make sure everyone knows the book is American Psychic and it's available everywhere. Well, it's um, interesting you say that. Yeah, it was in Barnes & Noble it might be in. But the best way is to get it on Amazon. It's on Kindle and paperback. And the audiobook just came out a month ago. So, you know, I've got nine hours of me talking to you. <laughs> I love that. I want to listen to the audiobook. Okay. I do because I, I love your voice as well and find it really soothing. Oh, so. 
Well, thank you. Well, that was, that's what happened during the pandemic. I wanted to get creative because the first three months were crazy making. And I had this wonderful opportunity with a producer who had sat on one side behind his compartment and I sat on my own. And I went through this book and I was mesmerized that I had survived a lot of it, that I had done it, that I had even written it, that the force that came through me to get it out, because there's some great wisdom in there. And I had to start listening to my own words. What a powerful process. Well, and let me ask you before we wrap up, Merlo, if there's an essential message that you want to make sure that is conveyed, yeah. what, what would that be? You know, it's really to be curious about your life because the, the book is a memoir. So you go on the ride with me, but the thread throughout the entire book not just you know the antagonist of my mother it's truly the thread of you us always being led and guided and when you see all the dumbass things i did you start to think about your own and go oh wow i got out of that oh my goodness whether it was prayer intention somebody helping but the point is we are we're guided and assisted in the most particular and delicate ways so get curious about your life and dig into the places that we don't have answers. And don't be afraid of being wrong. Here I am a psychic. I have to be completely okay with not knowing. So I know for other people things, but sometimes for ourselves, we don't know because we've got to learn. Right, Stephanie? Yes. Spark, sparkles, <laughs> the spark of life. <laughs> <laughs> but it's, that's so true, though. I mean, we all have blinders. Yeah, you know, and how important that is that, and, and and it does remind me of something I feel like I've said on the show a lot, but it's it's really true because I think it's so important because people are like, okay, so when do I arrive? When do, when do when, can I just be done? Like I, I I've learned a lot of lessons, but you know, but that's that's the reality is that that's why we're here. You know, we're we're in this life school, yeah, and and we're here to get these lessons and. To, to, if we embrace that, then it becomes actually kind of a beautiful part of the ride instead of something we need to resist or go like, oh, I don't know. I just want everything no, to just go. Go with, go with it. You know, Brian Weiss, you know, many lives, many masters, the father of past life regression gave me a quote on the front of the book. And that man changed my life. I didn't believe in past life regressions. I didn't believe in talking to the dead. So look, I had judgment and criticism and all this snarky stuff about it. So the point is, to be curious that you don't have to like get whacked like I did. That's just it, right? <sighs> to listen to those whispers, to listen to that inner self and, you know, that higher self. Consciousness, yeah. Consciousness, yeah. So we don't have to have the brick upside the head. Right. Yeah, I've got a couple yeah. of <laughs> me too. I got a couple of dents in this head. So, oh, Stephanie, I'm so grateful. Thank you. Gosh, thank you. I, I feel so grateful as well. And total interview aside, I would love to connect with you and I'd love to set up a session with, with you if that's... Maybe. We'll see those things. You know, we can possible. do that. Right. Is, is, is that, is that a, an appropriate thing? Is that okay? Or what is... Oh, yeah. You know, I, that's what I do. I mean, I do that all over the world. And I'm, I'm not even doing this kind of thing. I mean, I am doing Zooms with people, lots of groups, you know, all of that. But right now, I'm just talking to people over the phone. Oh, okay. 
you. I don't mean to do anything like that. And that's what I'm doing. And yeah, I mean, I still, I'm scheduling, I think for the middle to the late part of September right now. So yes, I'm still working. But I would, I mean, I'd love to just chat with you. You're just such an awesome person. <laughs> well, thank you. Well, I feel the same way about you. Um, so people can find me through MarlaFreeze.com and it's F-R-E-E-S.com. Okay. That's one part of the, of the, the website. And then the other is the American psychic book.com, which has all the stuff about the, the book. It's been so great to go back to the places that are, I wrote about in the book. And of course you can access buying the book there, whether it's audible or whatever, because you can just click, but yeah, that's the best way to find me. I think one of the really big takeaways for me in listening to this interview with Marla, you know, just the depth of abuse that she suffered, the things that she went through as a small child, and those things are what actually ended up being her gifts. She really just used her natural abilities of intuition and insight to help guide her into new careers, new adventures, and really be a person of service in this world. Her beautiful, loving heart was so apparent through this interview, it really touched me and really made me reflect on, you know, what what am I contributing as well? I think it's really just this important thing that as we look within, we can start seeing what are our gifts? What can we contribute to the world? And even things that start out for us as hardships and difficulties and we start feeling like, oh my gosh, I'm stuck or I can never get out of this. You know, eventually we really do. We all are moving towards healing. And when we do that, we're really able to start transforming that hurt into something that eventually can become the gift that we share with others. Remember, The Spark is your show too. If you have questions, feedback on the show, or if you're going through something and need a little help, we'd love to hear from you. Continue the conversation with us at our website, thesparkpod.com, and on Facebook, Instagram, and YouTube. New episodes of The Spark air Wednesdays at 7 p.m. Mountain. To make sure you don't miss an episode, subscribe to the podcast on Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts. The show is not a substitute for professional care by a doctor or other qualified medical professional and should not be considered medical advice. If you're having a mental or physical health crisis, please seek treatment immediately. The Spark is produced by NoCo Media Limited, which is solely responsible for its content. Thanks again for listening. This has been The Spark, igniting your best life. I'm Stephanie James.
This is Loudspeaker.